And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 35. And this morning, we're continuing our Advent series where we are looking at the coming of Christ and his, also his second coming. We're going to look at that after Christmas where he will come again. And really, from the earliest days of Christian history, followers of Jesus have really developed ways of structuring the use of time, where we reflect on our most fundamental beliefs in this throughout history, and also in this, we celebrate our most meaningful historical events. And so the Christian year is really built around a calendar of events, starting with Advent and Christmas, and then followed by Lent and Easter, and along with Pentecost and so on. And so we go full circle and arrive back at Advent where the calendar repeats itself once more. And the rhythm of the seasons in each year really helps us to remember with thanksgiving, with a heart of gratitude, the ongoing and the well-ordered and the redemptive work of Christ. And so we do this because focusing and reflecting on Christ is one of the most important things we can do in every season as believers. And so in this series, we're talking about our Savior. Why and how did he come? And last week, we looked at the bad news. I told you, if you were here last week, that was Bad News Sunday. And I promised you that it was going to get better. And this morning, it's getting better. We're looking at the good news. But last week, we looked at the bad news, where we saw how sin had really separated us from God. And that in this, we saw our great need for saving, for our Savior to come and to redeem. And so we started at the beginning. Back in Genesis 3, we started at literally the beginning of the story because we needed to understand the why before we could know the how. And so we saw how God did what was true of his character that he promised to bring a savior that would take our sin and take our punishment. And see, in this, what I said last week was that the grand narrative of the Bible is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And if you've never heard that before, that's the overarching narrative of the Bible. That the Bible is really a narrative about God and what he's doing in the world through the person and work of Christ. And so we resolved on the promise given in Genesis 3 verse 15. That God would send a savior to crush and to redeem. And so now, as we've talked about our need and the promise of our savior... Today, what we're talking about is waiting for our Savior. And we still wait. We wait for the fulfillment of his promise to come again, that through Jesus and for him to return and to make all things new. And so for that, we are still waiting. And I've said this before, that no one likes to wait. No one likes to wait. I mean, think about it. We're not born with the ability to wait. And all the parents agree with me and say, yes, I have an impatient child. And what we know is that the ability to wait comes with maturity. But it's also something that we must work to develop and to mature in. It's not something that comes naturally to us. And for myself, I have walked through times of learning the difficulty and the importance of waiting But I've shared this story with you before that no other time 
of experiencing this and having to walk through a season of waiting will be like when we were waiting for my son, Micah, to be born. Because here's the deal. Back in 2015, Micah was due on December 20th, but that's not when he came. He was late. And I even remember doing our Christmas Eve service and wondering, am I going to have to leave here mid-message to go take my pregnant wife to the hospital if she starts laboring? And so I'm wondering that, and we're doing our Christmas Eve service, and then no, there's more waiting. And then on January 3rd, which for you non-mathematicians, that's 14 days, okay? He got really cozy. And so 14 days later at 5.30 a.m., my wife wakes up with some mild labor pains. And so we went and we visited the doctors. And I'm going, this is it. This is the moment. The wait is over. Here's the sign. And they said, maybe yes, maybe no. Just keep waiting. I thought, man, do you all just hate me at this hospital, you know? And we just kept on waiting. And then around 1 p.m., we were at home trying everything to just force this kid out. Because at this point, there's no wooing gently and, and welcoming him into our family. There's just get out, right? There's just like, you have received your eviction notice, and you should have left by now. <clears throat> And so we tried everything. We, we tried walking. Uh, we tried spicy foods. I mean, my wife graciously tried castor oil. If you don't know what that is, that's just a terrible thing to have to do. I mean, I even tried Googling stuff. What do we do? We just, we're in this season of waiting. And then at 5.30 p.m., we went to the birthing center in Mount Vernon. And, and here's what's funny. What was obvious to the doula and to my wife was that our son was coming. I, I had no clue. I'm just going at 5.30 like, are we just here to keep waiting? Because this just must be what you do. We're just waiting. And they, they were saying, no, 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 this is, this is the time. And so we waited. And we patiently waited as Shauna labored. And then at 8 a.m. the next morning, when it, thing, when it seemed that like things were not moving along, the, the midwives decided that it was time to transfer to Island Hospital. I remember in this time praying over my wife, and this was such a gift to have a doula that was a believer. And she sat there as I, with us as I prayed over my wife, and I just remember feeling the angst and the restlessness as she was laying in the bed at the birthing center, and as we waited until it was time to head to the hospital. And so there's all of this waiting and this hopeful expectation. And then we got to Island Hospital, which felt like an eternity because if you're going to drive for 30 minutes on a bumpy road with a laboring woman, it is not going to end quickly. And on top of that, if you don't believe me, they let me drive, okay? I have resentment there, but they let me drive with my wife, and there's all of this waiting continuing. And then we're at Island Hospital, and from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., it was a series of testing and assessing and waiting and then finally they took Shauna in for surgery and out came our son. And finally, finally at 4.31 p.m. on January 4th, our son was born. And then all of the hoping for, all of the not knowing and all of the waiting was finally over. And see, here's what I learned from all of this, because God doesn't have us walk through this without teaching us something. What I learned was that what God does in us while we wait is incredibly important. It's not just what we are waiting for. It's what God is teaching us in the midst of waiting. 
And so when my son was born, I was 27. And, and two years ago at this time, every year I follow the psalm that is my age. And the last verse in Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so let me tell you, as we look at the, the idea of waiting for our Savior and we look at someone who waited, we need to look rightly at waiting for our Savior and see him. Because waiting on him means we are looking to him as we wait. That in our text, we're looking at a man who is told of Jesus' arrival and he faithfully waited. And so today we're talking about Simeon and how he dedicated himself to wait and to watch, and how in this, God showed up in his waiting. And so this morning, what we're going to see and unpack today in our outline together is that God is at work in our waiting, that he alone would get the glory through the saving work of Christ. If you're taking notes this morning, those are your fill-in-the-blanks, that God is at work in our waiting that he alone would get the glory through the saving work of Christ. And so we're going to re- read in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for your word. And God, as we talk about the subject of waiting, God, I pray that God, in our waiting, we would not approach it with a passive sitting around, but God, that we would go after relationship with you, that we would go after your presence that, God, we would long to seek you and to know, God, in this season, what would you have for us? And so, God, I thank you for this morning and for your word, for the opportunity to come together and come before you. And, God, I thank you that no matter how sick I am or sick we are, you are still seated on the throne, that you're not shaken by our shakiness, You are not weak when we are weak. So God, this morning, I pray that for us as a church, we would not look to me. God, may we never look to me. May we never look to anyone else but Christ. And so God, this morning, as we unpack your word, 
I pray that it would pierce through our hearts and that we would look to you. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Now, not much is said about Simeon beyond Luke 2, but what's quickly clear about this man is that he is a righteous and devout man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw this in, in verse 25 when it says that as there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, this man was righteous and devout. And we see that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so in this, we see that God was clearly at work in his waiting. And see, waiting, true biblical waiting, is not a passive waiting around for something to happen. Those who wait are those that work faithfully because they know that their work is not in vain. When in fact, waiting is the confident and disciplined and expectant and active and and sometimes even painful clinging to God. And we see this in the example of Simeon. That if Simeon is called a righteous man, it means that he lived a life of faith and obedience. And that like us, he he was not a perfect man, but he walked in the way of the Lord. And Simeon was also called a devout man where he longed in his heart for God. He was focused on God. And so let me tell you, those like Simeon have undergone a refining in their lives so that the things of this world fade in their attraction. See, this is what it looks like for us to pursue our Savior and to put him above anything else. And so let me ask you, What is the object of your attraction? What's the object of your affection? Are you focused on Christ and in pursuit of him in such a way that the things of this world begin to fade in their attraction? See, this man, Simeon, loved God. We see that the focus of his living, the focus of his attraction and his affections are God's promise. And see, the Holy Spirit had confirmed in his heart and in his soul and in his mind that he is coming to the point that Paul will later call the fullness of time, that everything is coming together, that he is in a strategic moment, that everything in God's providence and sovereign rule over history is in alignment for something very significant to happen. And this begins with the Son of God coming to the temple of God. And so in this, we see Jesus and the temple come together, where we see the fulfillment of the old covenant and the beginning of the new covenant. And see, this is a new time in human history. This is the fulfillment of all prophecy. And Simeon, because of the revelation of the Holy Spirit, he is consciously aware of this And he is waiting. He is waiting with eager anticipation and expectation for the revelation of God in the person of Christ. And so as we saw in verse 26, God had revealed the coming of Christ to him through the Holy Spirit. And God promised something to Simeon in that. We saw in verse 26 that as 
the Holy Spirit is revealing to Simeon, he says that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Could you imagine what that would be like to wait for the coming of the Savior and to know that you would not see death before you had seen the Lord's Christ? I mean, imagine conversations with Simeon for some of Simeon's friends, for them asking, hey, you're getting old. Are you planning for retirement? I'm going, nope, I'm just waiting for my Savior, and then I'm just going to go die. I'm just waiting for my Savior, and then the next thing is God's going to take me home. This is what God's promised to me. This is his focus. So see, Simeon was focused on the Savior, and he trusted that God was at work in his waiting. And no matter what, no matter what, he was faithful to press in and to seek and to wait for the promised Savior. See, as we see in verses 27 through 32, God makes good on his promise, and Simeon meets Jesus face to face. But also what we see is that God does this so that he alone would get the glory. God does this so that he alone would get the glory. And so as Simeon meets Jesus, we see in verses 27 through 29 that he is in awe of the Savior he has waited so long for. We see that in verse 27, it says that Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple, that the Spirit led him there. And see, in this, what I, what I want to note just for a moment is that when we wait upon God and we seek Him, in His Spirit, He leads us into where we meet with Him. See, Simeon, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, is brought to the temple at the right time by God to meet with God. Simeon is faithful to be at the temple, but the Spirit is guiding him to meet Jesus here face to face. And why is that? Because he was waiting upon the Lord, and what he gets for his waiting is God. What he gets for his waiting is God. And so as we continue looking down to verse 29, we see Simeon's response to coming face to face with God in the flesh. It says, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, it says, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to who, according to your word. Now in this, who is Simeon focused on? It's Jesus. And who gets the glory? It's God. Simeon is not acknowledging anything about himself, but everything about the character of God and how God is at work for his glory. So here is Simeon holding Jesus. And he has seen how God was at work in his waiting that now as he sees and he holds Jesus, he sees that God has become man. That it is not that men and women become gods, as we saw from the lie from the serpent in Genesis 3. And many other religions and many other uh, ideologies would tell you that we become these great beings, but here we learn that God humbled himself. He humbled himself and became a man. So it's not that we 
ascend necessarily up to God, but that God descends down to be with us. And see, what this tells us is that there are three words here that are defining for the Christian in this season. It's that God reveals in Christ that it is God with us. This is what Simeon experienced that he met Jesus and got to see God in the flesh here to save and to redeem. And in his response, he gives glory to God. We see in verses 30 through 32 that we read that God is revealing his saving work in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Simeon goes on to say, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So see, in verse 30, Simeon sees that Jesus would be the one to bring God's salvation to humanity. Jesus would bring a resolve to the waiting. And in his saving work on the cross, he would save all who would believe in him. See, this is the good news. Because at one time before Christ, we were apart from God. But now because of Christ's work on the cross, when we put our faith in Christ, we receive God's salvation to humanity. We receive Christ. And so this is the good news of the gospel, that you and I have right standing before God because Jesus stepped into our place. So it's not by our efforts, it's not by our righteousness, but by the imputed righteousness of Christ alone. So it's Jesus who saves, and Simeon saw that. See, one of the beautiful truths of the Bible is that it's always been God reaching out to man, not man reaching out to God. And our reaching back is just in response to his pursuit And so that is why Simeon said in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. And in seeing Jesus face to face, Simeon saw God at work in the imperfect waiting of his people. And then in verse 31, Simeon said that God had prepared in the presence of all peoples See, what is significant about this is that God is revealing himself in a way that he had not yet done. Because what you have before Christ is that God was only primarily present with his people in the temple. And the temple sat at the heart of Jerusalem. And the Jews would often walk for many, many miles. And they would arrive at the base of the hill and they would wash themselves to get clean. And then they would cover themselves and they would dress themselves in white. And then as they went up to the temple, they would sing the Psalms of Ascent. And they walked all the way up to the temple, far away and uphill. And the presence of God and the Holy of Holies was at the center. And they'd be trying to purify themselves for sin and prepare their hearts to meet with God. And they would come literally as close to God as human beings could without dying because they were sinners. And a priest would go into the temple where no one else could go to meet with God. 
And they would offer sacrifices and they would confess their sins and animals would die and blood would be shed. And this would cleanse the people of their sin, but this would not save them. And further, we see that in, the, in relation to the temple, there were courtyards. The first was called the court of Israel, which meant that only circumcised male Jews were allowed. And then there was a courtyard, which was the court of women. And again, only Jewish women were allowed. And then finally, way out on the side was the court of Gentiles. And if you were not a Jew, you were not welcome. If you were not a Jew, you belonged in the court of Gentiles. And so let me tell you, that's, that's us. We're the Gentiles. If your lineage does not trace back to being Jewish, Jewish, then like the rest of us, you are a Gentile. And so what we see so significant in the text is that before Christ, there's a wall of hostility. There is both a wall that is physically there and it is spiritually there. Because there was separation between Jew and Gentile causing a physical wall of separation and hostility. And then there was a spiritual wall of separation between God and man. But see, in verse 30 and 31, Simeon is speaking prophetically of what is to come in Christ when he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. See, because in Christ, there is no longer a wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, and there is no longer a wall of separation between God and man. But see, what this does not mean is that God did away with the temple. God did not do away with the temple. He did not remove our need for a high priest. He has not forgotten our inability to reconcile ourselves. And so what God did to his own glory is God completed and he fulfilled all of this in Christ. So let me tell you, church, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the temple. This is God's plan. Jesus is God's plan for our lost world without hope. Jesus is our high priest Jesus is our new covenant. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is the fulfillment of over 350 Old Testament prophecies that have been fulfilled in him. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And if you do not understand to this point, let me tell you, Jesus is everything. That all of this is what is revealed in Christ. And God does this to point to himself, that we would look upon him, that Christ, what Simeon is understanding and he is seeing through all the time of his waiting and now being face to face with Jesus, is that Christ is God's presence among us. That Christ is God's presence among us. And we're going to look at that next week more in our time during our Christmas Eve services But this is what Simeon is seeing, that God in his mercy and for his glory gives of himself to us in Christ so that through faith, both Jew and Gentile can become children of God. And as we read in verse 32, this was a light for the revelation to 
the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. See, Simeon is preparing us as much as he is speaking truth in the face of Jesus. See, this should get us to really look to the Savior, look to Jesus, and wait upon him where we're giving God alone the glory. And see, church, as we wait, remember that as Simeon says, this should be revelation to the Gentiles. If I can personalize it, this should be revelation to us. I mean, when he speaks of the Gentiles, that's us. And this is the announcement that should get us to turn our head, to focus on and to seek, to really see how God saves, that both Jew and Gentile are saved only through the person and work of Christ. And this is what God is revealing in the Son. And so what Simeon says in this text is that God is going to save both the Jew and the Gentile that believe in Jesus, and he's going to do this for his own glory. And see, as Simeon finishes speaking, we see in verse 33 that his father, Jesus' father, and his earthly mother marveled at what was said about him. See, in my, in my study, I really wondered what this type of situation would look like today. Because let's be honest, church people are weird. <laughs> let's be honest. Church people are weird. And not everyone is like Simeon. So if someone comes up and grabs my kid and starts praying over them and is speaking over them, I'm kind of wondering, are you crazy or are you filled with the Spirit? So I think sometimes we would really not marvel at it like Joseph and Mary are. See, here, Simeon is filled with the Spirit, and Joseph and Mary, as we saw in the text, are marveling at what is said about Christ. And I mean, imagine their, their, their combination of joy and surprise to see how God has touched the hearts of others with an understanding of their son. I mean, no matter how well you know Jesus, there is something special about seeing someone else come to know him. And see, also what we see of what Simeon was saying was that they saw further that Jesus was going to do a work that only he could do. They marveled at what was said about him. But it really makes me think about how we may approach this situation and just kind of wonder. And in that, it makes me think, are we missing what's being said about our Savior? Are we missing what's being said about our Savior? Are we distracted by weird Christians or the, or the wrong thing or the wrong person in such a way that we're missing Christ? Are, are we marveling at the Savior? See, Simeon goes on to say in verse 34 and 35 what Christ is going to do and how he is going to save. And really, he personalizes this, and he looks to Mary and Joseph, and more specifically to Mary. 
It says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. See, later what, we'll, what we would see in the Gospels is that this would be shown in the way that Peter repented, but Judas despised. In the way that one thief on the cross blasphemed and the other believed. Really what Simeon is saying is that Jesus is like a magnet that is going to be attractive to some. They are going to draw in, but others are going to be repelled from him. And so an important question that comes up in this is what are you doing with Jesus? What are you believing about Jesus right now? See, some are going to accept Jesus and they will love him and they will obey him with their lives. But then there are some that will hate him and they will reject him. And what Simeon is doing, specifically in this last verse, is he is preparing Mary for this. He's saying, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, Simeon may have been old, but one thing he knew, this was going to break Mary's heart. To watch her own son be rejected and beaten and tortured and hung up on a tree like a criminal. This was going to break her to her soul. And really, this is good, this is good that Simeon is saying this because it was important for Mary to understand that mothering the Messiah would not always be sweetness and light moments. It was both a great privilege and a great burden. And see, this was true for our Heavenly Father who knew all of this and still he sent his own son to step into the space where you and I belonged. Do you think about that ever? Do you ever reflect on the goodness of the gospel? I mean, I, I cannot imagine sending my own son for you and yet the father does it promising before you were here. That our Father has sent the Son to step into a space that you and I belonged, where Christ then has met the deepest need of humanity. And so have you trusted in Him as your Savior? Have you put your faith in Christ alone? Because I can tell you right now, a life without Christ is no life at all. Your greatest need, whatever you think it is, is truly the Savior, Jesus Christ. You have no other greater need than Christ. See, I love what, what Roy Lessing says, who is a Christian devotional author And he once wrote, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, 
God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. So church, let me tell you that the only way you are forgiven is through faith in Christ alone. That you would believe upon him, that you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. The Bible tells us that through that faith and that confession, we will be saved. That we no longer walk as those who are separated from God, but that we walk as those are who are forgiven, who have received the Savior. And so see, what we learn from the life of Simeon is that his focus is fixed completely on the Savior. No matter what happened before in Simeon's life, no matter what came across his path, he was focused and fixed upon waiting for the Savior. And so church, as we come to a close this morning in our time, I want you to ask this question. What am I focused on this season? See, we have a great need for a savior. And let me tell you, if you do not understand, we have a great savior for our need. So are you looking to Christ in this season? Or is there something else that is taking your focus, that is taking your affection away from him? I mean, really ask yourself, have you made something else or someone else the object of your worship? Are you looking to Christ and Christ alone? So as we come to a close this morning, I want to encourage you to ask that. What am I focused on this season? What am I focused on this season? Let's pray.